Along the eastern shores of this great country is the Atlantic Coast Conference, the ACC, which for the last few years has seemed to stand for almighty Clemson and Challengers. And with the Tigers coming off their second national championship in three years and no end in sight, how close will those Challengers come in 2019? After trading off playoff victories each of the last four seasons and the national championship trophy in each of the last three, history would suggest that it's Bama's turn this year. But the Tigers want to prove that unlike in the alphabet, C comes before A. If they can restock their D-line and gain some LBs, they might just roll the tide and repeat. Florida State wants to be great once again. With the addition of OC Kendall Bryles to run the offense and a slew of athletic talent on defense, the Knolls may start to draw near the pole position atop the Atlantic. Dino Babers has the cues in the news again and he's trying to open everyone's eyes to the idea that the Orange have staying power in the ACC. But a lot of their hopes for 2019 rest on quarterback Tommy DeVito and a new offensive line to help capitalize the O for the Orange. In Winston-Salem, Wake Forest hopes to wake sleeping giants around them, but they'll need their quarterback to go from good to great. Whether it be Hartman or Newman, one of them better be the man for the Deeks to be demons in the Atlanta. Speaking of quarterbacks, NC State loses a good one still seems to be trying to find which of their young prospects can emerge as the next great Wolfpack pack leader. They'll have two good backs to back them, but the defense has to limit their PPG and ACC PLAY. At BC, there's an RB who is A1, if he's okay, but their QB will need to be the one to help them get some Ws. Losing so much on D, though, could make some BC fans lose their S. The villain is out of the bill, and new coach Scott Satterfield has to climb the hill. But he's scaled higher terrain before. In a rebuild year, can he get the Cardinals to make other teams see red? Over in the Coastal, Virginia Tech had a roller coaster year in 2018, but finished strong to keep the nation's longest bowl streak alive. In famed D coordinator Bud Foster's final year, they should have an appropriately strong defense to foster the hope to their second Coastal Championship in four seasons under head coach Justin Quentin. Miami pulled in many from the transfer portal, most notably Tate Martell, along with some other Power 5 moves. But it won't matter who switched jerseys if the guys with the big ones up front and any one of their three QBs can't find their fit in this new Dan Enos offense. Virginia is the darling pick of the division this year, but Wahoo fans will say who cares if they can't get it done in their first real shot at a division title in nearly a decade. Speaking of division champs, Pitt must defend their coastal crown, but without the aid of their two thousand-yard backs and steel pack. If they get it done again with this roster, crown Narduzzi coach of the year and consider Pitt to have turned the corner. North Carolina will benefit from the return of the Mac, and with some of the best assistant coaching hires of any changing program, coaching a good group of young talent, expect the heels to lay the foundation for a brighter blue future. Duke, true to their color, may be a darker blue with the loss of their best quarterback in program history and a handful of top receivers, not to mention their three best defenders from a season ago. Similar to Narduzzi at Pitt, if the magician David Cutcliffe formulate a champion with this green group of Blue Devils, hand him the head man hardly. And at Georgia Tech, we're all happy for Jeff Collins in getting his dream back. But turning the dream into a team is going to take some time, especially since he inherited a roster of a different scheme. Fourteen teams on the cast, broken into two parts to help you last. ACC on the BFC. Who are the contenders going to be? Listen and you'll see. Or hear.
on a bowl full of chips right now. Bom bom pits, a bowl full of chips. Bom bom pits, with Jeppy Bom bom pits, two young brothers. Bom bom pits, talking college football. Bom bom pits, analyze and humor. Bom bom and some funny ass clips. So relax and unwind. With a bowl full of chips. Welcome back to part two of ACC 2019 preview. I am Chappie, and I'm joined by my co-host, The Bip. We took the last podcast looking at the Coastal Division, which most people would agree is more highly competitive in terms of teams really one through three and then even in the bottom four. Um, you could kind of uh, mix and match and, and interchange any of those teams. Not really the case with the Atlantic. There's really the team at the top, and then maybe two teams at two and three who could fight it out. Um, and then you've also got two teams at four and five and two teams at six and seven that are interchangeable, but clearly a much bigger divide from one to number two. So, Bip, let's uh, let's get the suspense out of the way and let's uh, you know surprise everybody with your number one pick in the Atlantic this year. Yeah, anyone not looking for spoilers, cover your ears right now. I'm going to go with the Clemson Tigers. And what? <laughs> With the talent that the Tigers have been able to stockpile, the folks in Clemson are talking a little like the the uh, SNL super fans, where I don't think they're talking about a repeat, a three-peat, or even a four-peat. I think we're talking a minimum eight-peat. And <laughs> I'm not sure I can disagree with them after their performance in the playoffs last year. Trevor Lawrence comes back, obviously, as the super sophomore, threw for 3,200 yards, 30 touchdowns, and only four picks last year, and kept getting better as the season went on, having played his best ball in the playoffs. Uh, from their seventh game in the season and beyond, Lawrence had five games of 300-plus yards and really only struggled against Pitt, in which he completed only 50% of his passes, but still had two touchdowns and no picks. Kelly Bryant and Chase, Br and Chase Bryce combined for 900 yards and seven touchdowns backing him up last year. Uh, but obviously Bryant's gone, and if uh, Lawrence stays healthy, I think there's reason to believe that Lawrence could go for 4,000 yards and 40 touchdowns, playoffs included, this year. Lawrence will be helped by the second-best group of receivers in the country, in my opinion, just behind Alabama with Justin Ross and T. Higgins, as well as incoming freshman, freshman Joseph Nada and Frank Ladson, who Dabo has said are as ready as any freshman he's ever had. Both were in for the spring, and seeing as how Ross and Higgins performed as freshmen, that's pretty scary to hear. Um, Ross hit 1,000 yards on the nose last year, averaging 21.7 yards per catch, nine touchdowns, and he absolutely dominated in the playoffs against his best competition. Higgins, I see as actually being kind of underrated, as odd as that sounds, going into 2019 because of what Ross did in the playoffs. He added 936 yards and 12 touchdowns last year, but he seems to be the afterthought after the performance that Ross put on in the playoffs. But obviously the maybe the best one-two punch in the country um, at receiver. And if that wasn't enough for Lawrence to work with, Travis Etienne may have had the quietest 1,600-yard, 24-touchdown season in the history of college football uh, ever, yeah. as he was seemingly not talked about until the playoffs and finished seventh in the Heisman voting despite averaging 8.1 yards per carry. 
His backup, Lynn J. Dixon, returns after averaging 8.8 yards per carry last year and rushing for over 500 yards and five touchdowns. So they'll be pretty good at the skill positions. The offensive line returns four, and the new starter that they have coming in at left tackle was is uh, Jackson Carmen, who was the number one offensive line recruit last year and logged plenty of snaps for the Tigers. So it's safe to say that this offense is going to continue to be amongst the top three most dangerous in the country. Defensively, though, they lose just a little bit of talent on that defensive line as they lose all four starters and top backup Albert Huggins. But Xavier Thomas would have started virtually anywhere in the country last year as a true freshman and should be one of the best defensive ends in the country this year. Um, Isaiah Simmons is one of my favorite players in the country and leads a depleted linebacker group. He's got the speed of a safety with the body of a linebacker and is a terror in that middle of the field. The secondary loses Trayvon Mullen, but they return A.J. Terrell, Tanner Muse, and Kayvon Wallace, who I think will all challenge for all ACC honors. And the lone new starter in the secondary is Darion Kendrick, who's a converted wide receiver, but has been the talk of the defense during the spring, uh, not just for his play, but also his attitude of looking to see where he can fit in best for the coaching staff. So another one of those guys that definitely fits the Dabo mold for sure. Um, so that defense will have to rely on the secondary heavily this year if they want another undefeated season. I think the secondary gets it done. And despite the losses within the front seven due to graduation, early entry, and uh, transfer, I think that obviously Clemson has recruited well enough to where that defense is going to be playing well enough for them with that unbelievable offense and playing in one of the softest conferences in the country. I think it's an easy undefeated season for them going into the ACC championship game. And I have them knocking off the hurricanes to finish 13 or no in the regular season with a number one uh, or number one or number two seed going into the playoffs. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you saw recently, but air or uh, his name uh rogers from the sec network aaron Rodgers' brother justin or yeah uh, yeah jordan jordan rogers jordan. former quarterback at vanderbilt he came out and basically said that he sees georgia as a quote clearly better team than clemson uh, okay nope uh, <laughs> okay dude uh yeah i swing and a miss yeah I even though you talk about the the replacements on defense and the holes on defense, uh, and and I'm sure there's air quotes around the word holes. I just don't see a flaw with this team right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, let's start with defense. They got overlooked last year, I think, because that offense was just so prolific. Uh, they were in the top four defensively in five defensive categories: scoring defense, explosion plays, uh, in terms of limiting explosion plays sacks, red zone defense, and rush defense. Now, they do have to replace all four defensive linemen, but they restock like Amazon, Bip. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, you talked about Xavier Thomas, um, Xavier Kelly, and how about that? Having two defensive linemen named Xavier, that's kind of scary in its own right. <laughs> KJ Henry, who's not even listed on the as a starter, but 6'4", 250, um, was the third overall defensive end, um, you know, recruit a couple years ago. You know, he's going to get some time up there. Niles Pinkley and Justin, or I'm sorry, Niles Pinkney and Justin Foster logged some time last year, so they've got some experience. Now, linebacker is is where they're really the quote unquote weakest. However, um, 
you know, after Isaiah Simmons, there's not a lot of experience, but that's Brent Venable's strength. I mean, he was a linebacker coach everywhere he's been, and that's kind of his baby. So you know that they're going to be well coached. And I think he's got one, maybe even two sons who are on the roster as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if, if they get some playing time this year. Uh, Chad Smith is a reliable inside linebacker. James Scalsey is going to be the other one who's going to join Simmons. They were hurt with the loss of Shaq Smith, but again, um, if he leaves a place like Clemson, you kind of have to wonder, is it maybe that, uh, I mean, he wasn't worried about playing time necessarily, but, um, you know, was there a lot of heat and competition there? So I'm not really worried about their defense. Like you mentioned, they play in a relatively soft conference to where Clemson could stumble and lose a game in conference and they'll still be fine. I mean, even if they lose two games in the ACC this year, they still might come out of the Atlantic with the, with the, uh, with the title and oh, yeah. for them to lose two games this year is to me out of the realm of possibility. So Correct. I like Xavier Thomas. I think he's an all American player and, and I agree with you probably would have started anywhere else in the country last year. If he wasn't behind those four all Americans on that defensive front offensively. Yeah. There's Trevor Lawrence. He's pretty good. Um, <laughs> Pretty good, I guess. Um, <laughs> they were top 20 in nearly every offensive category, especially in scoring uh, big plays, fewest tackles for loss. I mean, you talk about that offensive line. They graduated a couple guys, but look at who they bring in. Gage Javenka, and you mentioned Jackson Carmen. Uh, they're going to be just fine on that offensive front. ETN, to me, is an early Heisman candidate. Um, I think he might even be uh, somebody who, believe it or not, might be a more serviceable Heisman type player than uh, Trevor Lawrence just because of the mm -hmm. fact that he's multidimensional, and I think that that really goes a long way in Heisman votes. And Lynn J. Dixon, how about this for a backup? Averaged 8.8 .8 yards per carry on 62 totes of the rock. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's eye-popping. And and I had to look at that again. I was like, is that am I old? Is that a 3 or an 8? And I'm like, <laughs> holy smokes, that's an 8. So uh, two, two good backs to start. And, you know, you talk about Ladson and Nagata um, just adding to that deep, deep group of receivers. Now, they're going to be without Amari Rodgers for the first part of the season as he's recovering from a foot injury suffered in the offseason. But Dabo makes it sound like he'll be back uh, in the heat of things in ACC play. And again, are they really going to miss him? I mean, yeah, they will. Uh, but are they going to be without his services and uh, be hurting? No. I was going to so, say, oh, good. They get more skill position players at the end of the season. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we lose we lose a potential All-American wide receiver, and we have two freshman All-Americans coming in. So we'll be okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like I said, no apparent weakness on offense. Good depth everywhere. I mean, everywhere. It would take a Chernobyl-type disaster to make this group ineffective. <laughs> um, special teams. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe they won't defend their title because, Bip, they were 85th in net punting last year. So Still better than Bama. Right, pump the brakes on the Clemson Tigers, right? <laughs> uh, kicking game is going to be the relative weakness, but again, the return game, they're going to have athletes to bring back a kick or a punt for a touchdown. I think they'll be just fine. Sorry, I had to wet the, wet the pipes there for a minute. Um, they had so much success without an average top 10 recruiting hall. Uh, believe it or not, they have been 11th on average in uh, you know recruiting in the last four years, which is still pretty damn good. But it, go, it comes down to coaching and culture, and Clemson has both. They have a pretty easy schedule. So I have them running the gauntlet and going undefeated and winning in the ACC championship game over the Virginia Tech Hokies. I have them finishing 12-0 regular season, 13-0 overall, 
to uh, take the top spot in that Atlantic. Yeah, and I even tried to play the game of, okay, where are their potential stumbling blocks? And obviously everyone points out Texas A&M in week two at Syracuse the following week. I don't think that they stumble in either of those um, because each team has their own weaknesses that Clemson can exploit. Past that, I really struggle to see anywhere to where they could possibly come close to, to losing a game. They do have Florida State after the bye, but it's at home again after a bye week, and they have Louisville the next week, so it's not as if they're going to be looking forward. The other one that I might circle on there would be at NC State on November 9th. But I thought you were going to say at Syracuse. I'm like, don't do it. Everybody's no. talking about that. It's way too damn early. No, I think at NC State could be a uh, uh, could be a tough one depending on who they have playing around them, but they, tra- they yeah. play Wofford the week before, so I think <laughs> that they'll be in good shape. They travel to South Carolina, but they have a bye before that, and as a rivalry game, I don't see that one being close. So I virtually don't see anywhere to where the, the Tigers even – um, stub their toe like they did last year, potentially against AM and Syracuse in those close games. Yeah, if you if you shuffle their schedule around, if they played at Syracuse or even at North Carolina in November, they would be much, much more likely to stumble in those games. But they play both those games in September. Mm-hmm. They have Florida State at home. Uh, Louisville is going to pose no threat to them this year. <laughs> and I agree with you. NC State on November 9th, that's really the only chance I could see it. But at that point in the season, again, Clemson could lose that game, and that might actually be good for them um, because they're still going to win the ACC. They're still, and they, if they do that, they're still going to make the college football playoff as one of the top four teams. Not because necessarily they're one of the four best teams, they probably will be, but because the college football playoff committee knows that everybody's going to want to see Trevor Lawrence and, um, uh, Travis Etienne and all those receivers in the college football playoff and try and pit them against Saban again. So politics are going to get Clemson in there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as long as they have one loss or fewer. So, yep, I have him number one as well. So can I give you my number two? Go for it, sir. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with, uh, not to be all Chuck Berry on you, but uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go Florida State with my second pick. And I've kind of caught some raised eyebrows and some ribbing on Twitter for this, but I think that there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be surprised by the Seminoles. I have them finishing 10-2, and 7-1 and one wow. in the ACC this year. Yeah, and so so hear me out. First of all, disclaimer, it is not because of Willie Taggart, and I'm not a Willie Taggart hater. I actually like the guy. I think he's one of college football's good guys, and I, I, I hate the baggage on him. I hate the, the, you know, the bashing of Willie Taggart, but I'm not sold on him as a head coach. What I am sold on, and this is getting to be broken record time, Kendall Bryles, baby. Mm-hmm. They were so bad on offense last year, but Kendall Bryles is so good in play calling and has been good at lesser places. Um, I saw this video bip online of this villager in somewhere in, I think, South America, and it shows like a, a sped up video of him basically creating this house and this in ground pool using nothing but a bamboo. And so he's digging out the ground. He's he's carving things. He's doing all this stuff with a bamboo reed, and and made this place that looks a hell of a lot better than my place. Um, <laughs> and so all he had was a bamboo, and that's kind of what Kendall Bryles was working with when he was at um, Florida Atlantic, and even to an extent at Baylor um, mm-hmm. and and Houston, so to speak, compared to Florida State. Now he gets at Florida State. He's got better tools. He's got better resources. Um, he's already named James Blackman the starter, which I think was a very, very smart decision. Agreed. 
um, you know, going in right now and saying, this is our guy and getting that in Blackman's head that, Hey, you're not in a competition with DeAndre Francois. And so this year you're not in a competition with Alex Hornerbrook, or you're not in a competition with, um, Jordan Travis, the Louisville transfer. You're our guy. And believe it or not, Bip, you know, Blackman is the highest rated quarterback, uh, coming back from the ACC. Now, granted, he didn't have as many snaps as some of the other quarterbacks a year ago, right. but um, it shows that he, you know, he put up some pretty impressive yeah, he numbers. he played well. 64.7% of his passes, 5-1 to one touchdown to interception ratio uh, on just 51 attempts, you know? So um, if you extrapolate that and move that into a full season, under Kendall Bryles, I mean, we've seen good quarterbacks look great under Bryles, so I think that we're going to see the same thing with, with Blackman. Um, you know, the guy, you know, Bryles just brings in success. I think that we're going to see some bounce back years from Cam Akers and Kalen LeBourne. They returned six of their top seven pass catchers from last year. The offensive line is going to be better. And I really like what Ryan Roberts brings at right tackle. He's a transfer from Northern Illinois, uh, comes in as a tight end, but they moved him to offensive line. And he kind of brings a nasty kind of a, a WWE type um, mentality on that offensive front. I like it. And, and like we talked about before, in this new fast-paced style of offense, which is even faster than Taggart brought in, you don't have to be an outstanding offensive line. You really just have to hold a block for a second or two, especially in the pass game. I think we're going to see that. Um, and with receivers like DJ Matthews, Tamori and Terry, Keith Gavin, tight end Trey McKitty, uh, they bring back a lot of their you know, key pass catchers from a year ago, which includes a couple guys from the backfield. So I think we're going to see a very, very impressive offensive group from Florida State. Defensively, they bring back even more. 80% of their production returns from last year. They're led by Harlan Barnett as their D coordinator, who I still think can do good things. Last year, he was kind of, you know, he was in his first year as, as the full-time D coordinator. He came over from Michigan State. They did a pretty good job in limiting explosive plays a year ago. They were pretty good at stopping the run and also getting to the quarterback. What they didn't do very well is limit scoring opportunities, but I think part of that was because of the inefficiency on offense. It put a lot of pressure on the defense. They were on the field a long time, and they're probably going to be on the field quite a bit this year, but not because the offense is stalling. It's because the offense will be scoring a lot of points, and you and I both know what that does to your psyche as a defensive player. You know, it's you're you're jazzed up and you're juiced to go back on the field when your offense just marches down the yep. field 80 yards in three plays and 51 seconds as opposed to three plays and out in uh, 12 seconds. And you're like, damn, we got to go back out on the field again and we have <laughs> nothing to show for it. So yeah. um, I think they're going to have one of the most improved defenses in the country. A lot of young talent, very athletic. I think they're, they remind me a lot of Miami of 2017 BIP. I think that they're going to be kind of that nasty style of defense and it's going to show that's going to be fun to watch those two defenses when Florida state and Miami play oh, yeah. this season. Um, very good on the back seven. Their defensive line is better than people think. And the headliner there is Marvin Wilson, uh, a beast of a nose tackle, 6'5", 314. And then you're uh, bookended by Jamarius Robinson and Joshua Kando at defensive end. The secondary is going to be where they excel. Two very good corners, Stanford Samuels and Asante Samuel. Uh, incoming freshman Akeem Dent, who I'll talk more about later. And then Jaden Lars Woodbay. Very good four players uh, on the back end. They're, they're going to get around the football. I think that we're going to see that aggressive, nasty-style Florida State defense like we were used to seeing under Bobby Bowden and um, Chuck Amato. So I think we see the return of Florida State. I, I think the last two years were kind of an anomaly. And so they're going to make Willie Taggart look like a great head coach 
when really it's going to be a lot of the individual parts and pieces and some of those assistant coaches getting it all done. Um, what they do need to do, though, is take better care of the football. They were 124th in turnover margin a year ago, and they need to be more disciplined. 118th in penalty yards. Very, very undisciplined. I think that's going to be one of the biggest focuses that uh, Taggart and that coaching staff is going to emphasize this season. I think Florida State goes into the Clemson game undefeated at 5-0 and after the bye. It's going to be a marquee matchup. Uh, they lose to Clemson, but I think that they play them closer closer than the experts think, my friend. Um, <laughs> and then they rattle off five more wins against Wake Forest, Syracuse, Miami, Boston College, and Alabama State. Then after the bye, I think they lose at the Swamp against Florida in another close game. So we're looking at a 10-2 and Florida State team that could be um, maybe two scores away from an undefeated season. It could be that close, Bip. I like them second in the uh, Atlantic. I share your your positioning of second, but I differ in record. I have the Seminoles going eight and four, six and two in the conference, finishing second um, on this side of the ACC. Um, their offense and defense were loaded with potential last year as well, but completely missed the mark and led to a five and seven record. I think I, I'm completely with you. I think the hiring of Kendall Bryles gets them right where they need to be offensively. And that in turn takes a lot of that pressure off the defense at, uh, I, I really like the, the inserting James Blackman as the starting quarterback, like you said, limited, uh, time that he played last year, but 510 yards, 64% of his passes and a five to one touchdown interception ratio. And if they have to go to Alex Hornibrook due to poor play or, um, injury, he's not the flashiest, but he's a, a reliable backup quarterback that you can have inserted into the game if needed. So that's always a good fallback option to have. I think that Cam Akers and Kalen LeBourne could combine to be one of the best backfields in the conference this year, as long as that offensive line makes some strides. Now, they don't have to do a whole lot to be better than what they were last year, but they do right. to make, need to make some marked improvement to give these guys some room to run because they have the talent, but if you are being swarmed right as the quarterback gives you the ball, there's not a whole lot that you can do uh, with what you're given. Wide receiver, um, they do lose Nyquan Murray, but um, I do like their their group of receivers overall. Keith Gavin returns, uh, who had 415 yards, averaged 16 yards per, per catch last year. And I think Tamori and Terry uh, makes an All-American team this year. Coming off a season where he averaged um, 21.3 yards per catch, had 744 yards, eight touchdowns. He's one of my more uh, exciting receivers to watch this year, and I think Kendall Bryles gets the most out of him. Um, and you know what? He was 21.3, not to cut you off, but 21.3 yards per catch on 35 catches. So it's not like he caught 13 balls right. and the number was inflated. I mean, 35 receptions and you're averaging a fifth of the football field in, in doing that. That's that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, a matchup nightmare. And in this uh, Bryles offense that should open him up even more. I'm really excited to see what his numbers could be like this year and what he looks like on the field. So keep an eye out for him for sure. The the defense they return eight of their top 10 tacklers, and they should be really stout uh, in the front seven. They were really good against the run last year uh, in comparison to the rest of their defense. Marvin Wilson should be an All-American this year as he's one of those guys that is just a, a load to block, can play against the run, but also disrupts in the backfield, which is one of the, the uh, best things that you can have along that defensive line if you can get your tackles to cause havoc the way that he does. Robinson and Kando, they really need to step it up uh, as after losing Brian Burns last year, they're going to need to combine for 10 to 15 sacks this year. They have the talent to do so. They just need to tap into that. Linebacker, 
Um, they returned Dontavius Jackson to Kalen Brooks. Um, and then uh, leading tackler, tackler from last year, uh, Hamza Nasirladeen makes the move from safety over to linebacker. They also get Emmett Rice back, who was out for the season last year. So some decent depth in at linebacker to go with that talent. And like you mentioned, that secondary should be really athletic, really good. I like their um, their law firm of Samuel Samuels and Lars Woodbay in that uh, <laughs> secondary. And nice. uh, I, I'm excited to see what Akeem Dent can do as he's been pretty much the the main buzz that's been coming out from the uh, spring uh, for for those that uh, are around Florida State. So that um, that secondary should be one of the best. And I really like your comparison of this to the 2017 Hurricane defenses. I think this one could, quote unquote, come out of nowhere. And that talent could really surface this year to help propel the Seminoles. I have them losing their opener against Boise State. I think it's still just a little too much. Um, uh, can for... I ask you about that? <laughs> I, I think I don't like the fact that Boise has to make the trip cross country um, to play essentially a home game against Florida State. But I still think I like the the coaching of Boise State With to a come in. Too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think Boise State comes in and they get the win, a, a huge win for, for the Broncos to start off the season. I then have uh, Florida State losing at Virginia. So they're going to start off one and two, but then they uh, beat Louisville, NC State, lose at Clemson, and then lose their last game of the season against Florida to finish eight and four overall, six and two in the conference. Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, agree to tell you you're wrong. Uh, sure. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. I just, I, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid that, that, uh, Boise state can travel about 2,100 miles out to a pseudo home game where Florida state is trying to prove that they're back and right. all that athleticism on defense. You know, if it was, if, uh, Brett Rippon were still the quarterback for Boise, I would say that, yeah, I could see that, but you know, whether it's Chase Cord or Hank Bachmeyer, who's who's gunning the offense, you know, I, I know that Boise's going to be able to score some points, but mm-hmm. um, I'm not sold on I'm not sold on that defense, and they don't have a a run game that thrills me either for Boise yeah. State. So I just, uh, you know, again, I, I know it's a chic pick because it's Boise State, but um, maybe in other years, but yeah. I, just, I still think it's uh, yeah. they're maybe a year away. And in Florida State, I think again because I have such high expectations, and I think that this is their we're back year. I think. If they lose that Boise State game, then my projection is going to go way down because I think that that's a huge hit to the pride of the Seminoles mm-hmm. if they drop that game to Boise. And I, yeah, I think if they lose that, I'm more along the lines with you that they're more of an 8-4 and four team as opposed to 10-2, and two, possibly challenging for the Atlantic. And I think my biggest thing is I got to see this Florida State team and I got to see their temperament because last year they just looked like a team that did not want to play any football as soon as they got down in the game. And right. so the fact that they bring in a new offensive coordinator is great, but it all starts from the top up. And does Willie Taggart have his team turned around from what looked like a dysfunctional locker room last year? So that'll be my biggest thing to look for. I can't bet on the Seminoles being completely turned around in regards to attitude and, and atmosphere uh, going into the season. Um, So unfortunately for Noel fans, I got them eight and four, but uh so and, and if if they are like Miami of 2017, can we please stay away from the Flavor Flav uh, turnover chain or something gaudy and god awful yeah, like that? Please. That's one of the reasons why I'm disappointed that Manny Diaz returned to Miami. So I, I thought that we could retire that finally. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm with I mean, you. 
even if you go un PC and put on a headdress and, and you know have the players you know fold their arms and stand on the sideline instead of wearing the, <laughs> the turnover chain, uh, that's that's more worth the the Twitter rage than exactly that stupid looking thing. But anyway, yeah. I digress. Uh, give us your number three, Bep. Who's third in the Atlantic? Number three, I actually have coming in with a better record than Florida State, but finishing uh, with a worse conference record, and that's the Syracuse Orange. So mm-hmm. I have Syracuse finishing nine and three overall, five and three in the conference. And uh, Syracuse was really one of the, the the huge surprise teams in the country last year, and did so with one of the better offenses in the nation. Unfortunately for them, they lose all time Orange great Eric Dungey at quarterback, and in to come to fill his shoes is Tommy DeVito. While DeVito looked good against North Carolina and Florida State, he looked completely lost against Notre Dame and barely completed over 50% of his passes on the season last year. He's got a live arm, but he has, uh, but he needs to have improved decision-making and accuracy for the Orange to make some noise this year. What I like about Syracuse is they return the ACC's 5th, 8th, and ninth ranked uh, receivers in terms of returning yards per game. And they also add Michigan State transfer Tristan Jackson to go at wide receiver as well. So those receivers mixed with DeVito's arm, we could see a more vertical offense this year than years past for Syracuse. But again, DeVito's got to throw it to someone and not just down the field. Um, The offensive line, uh, this offensive line helped finish um, second in the conference last year and fewest sacks allowed and fifth in rushing offense. It returns two starters and they get a transfer in from South Alabama with a uh, total of four Ooh. offensive linemen <laughs> who has started at least 12 games each. So a lot of returning experience and uh, starts along this offensive line. So I think they should be in good shape there. Yeah. Who I'm really looking out for on the offense is Mo Neal. He averaged 5.6 yards per carry last year with over 850 yards. And now that Dungy's gone, that leaves 949 yards and 15 touchdowns up for grabs on the ground. So don't be surprised if Neal challenges for first team all ACC this year when all is said and done is I think they'll need to ride him more now that they go to more of a traditional drop back passer in, in DeVito. Um, defensively is where I think that Syracuse could really hit their stride and improve from last year. They returned seven starters and look really good on the front end and on the back end. Defensively, or on the defensive line, they have the best pair of defensive ends in the conference, and Alton Robinson and Kendall Coleman, who each had 10 sacks last year. They also returned McKinley, uh, return McKinley Williams at defensive tackle. And in the secondary, they return all four starters, including Andre Sisco, who took the nation by storm as a freshman with 60 tackles, 11 passes broken up, and seven picks. Fellow safety Evan Foster is the leading returning tackler with 86. He also added three and a half tackles for loss and four passes broken up. The secondary and defensive line should make it very difficult to pass on the Syracuse team, which is what they're going to need as they finished 12th in the conference in passing D last year. So we'll see what kind of a turnover they can have this year. Um... Also happening last year, they forced the most turnovers in the conference, but uh, be aware of that, though, because the turnover margin was so good last year that they could easily regress to the mean this year. So we'll see how that affects a, a defense that uh, <laughs> we'll see how that affects a, a an opportunistic team like Syracuse last year to see uh, what that does to their defensive and offensive numbers uh, going into the into this year. The obvious weakness in their defense is going to be a linebacker where they lose their top two tacklers from last year who each logged at least 100 tackles. So the Orange will continue to have one of the most effective offenses in the conference and a defense that could be much improved. And the schedule really sets up for them to challenge for double-digit wins again. But I see DeVito struggling with better pass defenses like Clemson, Pitt, and Florida State for their three losses. So I have them 
winning all of their non-conference, losing to Clemson, losing to Pitt, and losing at Florida State to finish 9-3 and overall, 5-3 and in the conference. By the way, we're going to have bowl full of chips shirts made up, and on the back it'll say, where we never regress to the mean. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. We'll put your signature on the back. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I have Syracuse third as well, and my record is the same as you, 9-3, and 6-3 and three in the conference. I... I like their offense, and honestly, the biggest question mark I have on offense is Tommy DeVito. Not from the standpoint of is he talented, but is he ready to be the guy? Because Eric Dungy has huge shoes that are left for DeVito to fill, and I know that a lot of people are sky high on DeVito. Basically, some are calling him a Heisman candidate. Some are calling him to be like the next best quarterback at Syracuse. Uh, I'm going to pump the brakes on that for right now, and again, yeah. kind of like, Kind of like you've talked about before, um, seeing him in big game action, case in point, Notre Dame, I wasn't sold. Now, Notre Dame is, is kind of a big test, and that's maybe an unfair um, you know, a litmus test. Sure, but, that, but, but it's not as if Notre Dame was one of the better pass defenses in the country last year. They, they got after DeVito, but that was just uh, he looked completely lost from the onset in that one. Yeah, Clemson proved that, didn't they? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Syracuse returns 55% of offensive production. They were 11th in the nation in scoring offense, and most of that, like you talked about, was due to Eric Dungy in the passing offense. He was a dynamic guy and a fairly efficient quarterback. And like we said, DeVito's supposed to be the better pure passer, so I expect the numbers to continue to be sky high in terms of um, scoring output because you're always going to get that under Dino Babers. Uh, but DeVito's going to need to protect the ball as well as they did last year. Um, you talked about the the high number of turnover margin, but could it regress to the mean? Um, you know, we'll see. <laughs> there were 36 in the country in rush offense, which really kind of jumped off the pages to me. I, I didn't really expect that. And they bring two pretty good backs. You talked about Mo Neal as being an all-conference type running back, but behind him, and we saw some good flashes against West Virginia in their bowl game, Abdul Adams, who's an Oklahoma transfer, Really wasn't eligible and didn't play until the bowl game last year, but had a, a good performance. You know, he goes 5'11, 214 pounds, uh, was a, a top 30 running back coming out of high school. So that's a pretty good one two punch on the ground to complement DeVito's arm. I really like their wide receivers. Um, you know, Sean Riley is a, is a versatile guy, he can take jet sweeps around the end. He averaged 11.8 yards per reception last year. He's also big in the return game. You know, one of their, you know, one of the better all-purpose guys in the ACC. Uh, and then, you know, Tristan Jackson, who's a Michigan State transfer. We saw a, a YouTube, or I'm sorry, a, a Twitter video of a an outstanding back of the end zone catch where he just went up and got it. And he's going to bring a little bit of swagger to the outside. I think that the DeVito to Jackson combination is going to be one we're going to see a lot in ACC play. Offensive line, not very good. 110th in sacks allowed last year, 94th in tackles for loss allowed, which means that they were allowing defenses to get into the backfield. I mean, we're talking um, lower third in the country. That number has to improve. You know, I know that they, you know, they they lose three guys. They get the transfer, Ryan Alexander from South Alabama. Um, but I'm just not sold on their front just yet, and they're going to need to uh, to really step up, not only to pre- preserve Tommy DeVito in his first year as a starter and allow that passing game to thrive even more, but to really protect those running backs and, and give them some space and some creases to hit second level. Defensively, I agree with you. This is going to be their calling card, 71% returning production. Very, very good in the red zone a year ago. 17th in the country in stopping teams from scoring. 
They were sixth in the country in sacks, but like it, like you talked about, mostly because of Coleman and Robinson on the outside. I see them having all ACC type years, and again, two more good defensive ends coming from this conference. Forty seventh in pass efficiency defense. And it comes from Scoop Bradshaw, Chris Frederick on the outside, and then um, the best Cisco since the Thong song, Andre Cisco, <laughs> their uh, freshman All-American safety, uh, you know, a good ball hawk. And he really kind of came out of nowhere. He was not in really the top 200 in terms of, you know, players coming out of high school. So kind of emerged onto the scene last year. Is he going to continue that, or is he going to fall into a sophomore slump? I think that uh, Syracuse is is going to be a team that gets a pretty favorable schedule. I mean, you look at their non-conference games at Liberty against Holy Cross at home at Maryland in the second week when Mike Loxley is going to still try to get things situated there for the Terps. I think playing Clemson in week three hurts them. If they played them in October or November, the Syracuse Orange would be a lot more ready and tested for that. So, you know, they're, I think they start 4-1 and one out of the gate with the one loss to Clemson. And then after their first bye, I see them losing at Florida State on October 26, but winning the other three. And then after their second bye of the season, I think that they lose in an upset at Duke on November 16th. Oh, I think that the, I think that the Blue Devils are coming right off of the loss to Notre Dame. I think that that's going to help Duke. Uh, not having a bye, I think it's going to hurt Syracuse coming off of a bye, contrary to what most people think. But then winning their last two games against Louisville and at home against Wake Forest, so the Orange finished nine and three, five and three in the ACC, bit for third in that Atlantic Division. Wow, I I am scratching my head on the Duke pick. I I don't see that there's any way for that uh, the new quarterback that comes in with his lack of receivers to throw to to have any success against this secondary or be protected against this pass rush. But uh, crazier well, things neither, have neither happened. Does Sy- neither does Syracuse, and that could play <laughs> into the favor. Remember, it's David Cutcliffe, and That's he right. pulled off some of those ACC upsets, especially in the later part of the year. Now, again, if it was earlier in the season, no way I'd pick Duke, but I think that comes in a, at a time where I think Notre Dame's, Notre Dame's going to be a good test, and they're going to they're going to give Duke, um, you know, a, a, a good lesson, and then the Dukies will come right back and say, you know what. We're not intimidated by you. We played a better Notre Dame team than, than Syracuse is. And Syracuse is kind of coming off of a bye, thinking ahead to we still have a chance maybe at finishing second, finishing with 10 wins. And oops, we we tripped over our own feet and lose against the, the Blue Devils. So, sure. Um, well, let me get to my fourth team. And uh, it's no mystery that they have one of my favorite quarterbacks. It's that team from... Winston-Salem, the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, led by who I think should be the starting quarterback, Sam Hartman, (laughs) although he's in a tough competition with Jamie Newman, who had a great finish to the season a year ago uh, for the Deeks. So 55% of their offense comes back. They were 26 in the country in rushing offense last year, Bip, and that kind of threw me for a loop. And they bring back their leading rusher, Cade Carney, who quietly rushed for over 1,000 yards. They do lose their number two rusher, Matt Colburn, who also uh, ran for 793. Um, so two good backs. They, they bring back Carney this year. Sam Hartman was their third leading rusher a year ago with 439 yards. And then Jamie Newman, their backup quarterback, had 305 on the ground. So they've got guys who can, who can use their feet well. They were 37th in the country in scoring offense, 45th in third down efficiency on, on offense. But getting back to that quarterback spot, they need a quarterback soon. And... They have two good ones, but it's not usually a good thing to go into the last week without one of them knowing that they're the man. So if I'm Dave Clawson, 
I would name a starter like uh, by Friday and let that guy know that he's going to lead their team out in the opener against Utah State on a Friday night at home, which is going to be a, a chance for both teams to kind of prove where they're going to head this season. I think that a lot of people are, um, you know, picking the en vogue Utah State team to win that game. But keep in mind, they don't have Matt Wells. They've got new coach Gary Anderson, who's back in Logan, Utah. I just don't see them having as much success as they did last year. So getting back to the Demon Deacons, I think that's an important win. But they're going to need to have a quarterback established a couple weeks prior to that Friday night game on August 30th. Offensive line last year was not very good. They were 96th in sacks allowed, 91st in tackles for loss allowed. So they're going to need to give Cade Carney some room to run. And by the way, he had to have offseason shoulder surgery. Um, all reports are that he's going to be healthy and ready to go by um, you know, the, the opener against Utah State. But you have to wonder how much recovered is he. And if he t- lands wrong in that shoulder, they don't have a ton of depth at running back behind him. They do have some depth at wide receiver. I like Sage Sherratt as a, a layout-type wide receiver. Scotty Washington is a good possession-type receiver. And they've got incoming freshman Nolan Gruel, who could contend for all ACC freshman honors this year. There's a lot of buzz about him coming out. There's some people who think that he could start over um, senior Kendall Hinton, who actually was a, 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 a switchover from quarterback. Um they, uh, you know, so they're going to put the ball around the field through the air. Defensively is where they have to get better. Everybody talked about UConn as being the worst defense in the country last year, and rightfully so. And Oklahoma is having a bad defense, but Wake Forest was not uh, in good graces either. So they were 101st in scoring defense, 93rd against the run, 85th against the pass in terms of pass efficiency defense. 125th in red zone defense, just not very good BIP. They fired their D coordinator about midway through the season. In fact, I think they fired him after the Notre Dame game. Um, so kudos to your Irish. Um, <laughs> they, But they do return 72% of that defensive group that comes back. And I, I saw improvement. I thought that they got better as the season went on last year. And yes, I know. I, I, I texted you watching that Boston College game in the first quarter saying, I like this Wake Forest defense. They get to the ball and they fly around. <laughs> and, and I never let you next, forget it. The next couple of weeks, you're like, hey, what happened to that Wake Forest defense? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, again, I think they could regress to the mean and get back to being a better defense this year. Uh, they're going to have to if they're going to contend. And Wake Forest is one of those teams who I would not be surprised if they rattled off 10 wins or if they got nine wins. I'm calling them to go eight and four this year, finishing four and four in the conference. I see their losses coming against Florida State at home. And then after a bye, two, or two weeks after a bye, losing at Virginia Tech, at Clemson, and then at Syracuse. So really losing to the, the big boys in the ACC in terms of you know first, second, or third place finish in my eyes. I think they start off 6-0 and out of the gate, and then they, you know, they're undefeated playing against Florida State. They lose that game, and then you know, kind of get brought back down to reality in that brutal home stretch against NC State, the Hokies, Clemson. And then, you know, an easy win against Duke and then losing on the road at Syracuse. But I have them going eight and four, four and four in the in the Atlantic. Pit. Yep. And I want to thank you, Chappie, for stealing my thunder. I also have the um, Demon Deacons finishing fourth, and I also have them finishing eight and four overall and going four and four in the conference. And oh, a lot I'm of sure. the. <laughs> a lot of the points that you touched upon are what I'm going to kind of reiterate here. I, unlike you, am more of a fan of Jamie Newman than Sam Hartman. Although I think Ooh. if I think if you're 
if you're if you have either quarterback on your team, you're you're in a good position as, yeah, as both look win-win. really good in their own, in their own right. Um, yep. I don't have Hartman's picture in my locker with hearts drawn all over him like you do, Chappie. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I think whoever comes out on top of here is going to lead a, what could be a really explosive Demon Deacon offense. Um, unfortunately for them, they lose Greg Dortch uh, as well as Alec ba- Alex Bachman. But I think that they yeah. have a really underrated group of receivers. Uh, you mentioned Sage Surratt. Uh, Wade L. Jones really impressed uh, during the spring. Um, A.T. Perry, Steve Claude had impressive performances. And then you also mentioned Kendall Hinton, Jakari uh, Roberson. And this is a really tall group of receivers. They have six guys who run 6'1 or taller, four that are 6'3 or taller. So they could create some uh, matchups. And in that fast-paced breakneck uh, offense that Dave Clawson likes to run, you could really see these guys maybe um, catching the defense off guard um, more often than not. And you touched upon Nolan Gruel. They also have Donovan Donovan Green. Both of those guys were at the top of their uh, recruiting class this year and were two of the more highly touted uh, prospects that uh, are recruits that Wake Forest has ever gotten. So this passing game could be zipping this year, especially in that uh, Clawson offense. Um, now at running back, they lose Matt Colburn, but as like you mentioned, as long as Cade Carney can stay healthy, I think he was one of the more underrated running backs in the entire country oh, yeah. last year. Over a thousand yards, five point three yards per carry, eight touchdowns, and he's one of those guys that just keeps on churning and keeps on churning. Really wears down a defense. And when you're running, yeah, so, somebody not to cut you off, but somebody compared him to Mike Elstott. I wouldn't go that far, but he is a no. big physical back. Yeah, um, you know, so that's that's high praise, but I think a little bit off target. But go ahead. And and, and in this offense, to where you're running as many plays, and Wake Forest runs about as many plays as anyone in the country. When you have someone like Carney that can keep banging away in the third and fourth quarter, when you only have about 10 seconds of breather time, that really wears and chips away at the opposing yeah. defensive line uh, and linebackers. So um, offensive line, they return three starters, and they should be in pretty good shape if they can stay healthy. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, like you mentioned, it, it could be a little tough sledding. And because they run so many plays on offense, that defense really gets exposed a decent amount as they're on the field so often. But the play of freshman defensive end uh, Shamar McCollum really opened a lot of eyes this this uh, spring. He could be someone that could get a lot of playing time early as a true freshman in that drop end spot. And he could be starting by the end of the season. So keep an eye out for him. He could have a big season uh, as their, their pass rush specialists on that defensive line. Um, the, the Deacon defensive line is, is, has a a lot of talent on the defensive line, but it's kind of unproven. Uh, so kind of like their wide receivers going into this year, Tyler Williams has moved back to defensive tackle and he's figured, he figures to be the best pass rusher, uh, amongst that, uh, position. And, uh, these two can combine with Carlos Basham to give the Deacons really an underrated defensive line, in my opinion. The linebacker and safety uh, spots are extremely thin as they return only one starter amongst the two position groups. Um, Justin Sternod is the lone returner, but he's a good one as he led Wake in tackles last year and also added eight and a half tackles for loss, five passes broken up. In the secondary, their cornerbacks are two guys that maybe not a lot have heard of, uh, but they figured to to, uh, put together maybe one of the best uh, corner duos in the conference in Asang Bassey and Amari Henderson as they combined for 25 passes broken up last year. So I, uh, like I mentioned, eight and four, four and four in the conference. I have them winning their first six games as they really have a down slate uh, in the schedule. 
They do mm-hmm. start off at home against Utah State. That'll be a tough one. But then their their first uh, test will be against Florida State. I have them losing that game. But keep an eye out for that one. Florida State plays Clemson the week before, so that one could go uh, in the way of the Demon Deacons, especially yeah. if uh, they start off 6-0 and and have a lot of momentum. Uh, I then have them losing at Virginia Tech, at Clemson, and at Syracuse to finish the season 8-4, and 4-4 and in the conference and finishing fourth in the conference. Yep. And, and another name I, I have to throw out there, and I, I can't believe I didn't mention is Jake Frudenhall. I think he's an all ACC type tight end. He might even be an all American depending on, you know, the, the play of their, whatever quarterback gets to throw him the ball. And, and yeah, um, obviously a, a Sam Hartman guy, but you know, it's really win-win whether it's Hartman or Jamie Newman. Oh yeah. Uh, Wake is going to be going uh, in the right direction if they can solidify one of those guys. And they, you know you've got a good backup behind them, and they both seem like good team players and whatnot anyway. But again, just I think for the psyche of the offense, the psyche of that quarterback, you've got mm-hmm. to name him early. Don't don't draw him in on Thursday night before you open against Utah State and say, okay, um, it's going to be you. And then they have that one night to think, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be the starter now. What do I do? So Because I don't care what anybody says. Everybody – says, oh, I, I, I go in with the mindset that I'm the guy. But until you're named that guy, there's always that voice in the back of your head saying, okay, well, what if I'm not the guy? You know, mm-hmm. I don't care how confident you say oh, you yeah. are. It's just the psyche of an athlete. So, And, and this um, will be one of the easier teams to root for this year, in my opinion. I'll be, I'll be uh, oh, yeah. excited to watch a lot of Wake Forest games. Yep, I, I'm with you. So, And does Notre Dame have them on the schedule this year? Uh, they do not, thankfully. Okay, so you, you can really root for them in every one of their <laughs> games. So. Right. Um, all right, well, let's get to numbers five, six, and seven. So number five, I'm going to go NC State, yep. also with an eight and four record, four and four in the conference. So again, one through five in the Atlantic, I have every team eight wins or better. So this is actually going to be more of a competitive division than mm-hmm. people would think. You know, everybody's talking about the ACC Coastal. Um but for NC State, the big question mark is, is starts at quarterback. I mean, Ryan Finley is gone, and I'm not sold on the guys who are in there. And I know Matt McKay had a pretty good spring. Um, you know, Bailey Hockman is a transfer from Florida State who was in the program last year. Devin Leary is a pretty good recruit at quarterback. But I haven't heard anybody's leaps and bounds above the other guy. Um, so Finley's gone, Eli Drinkwitz, their offensive coordinator's gone. So I think we can expect a slight drop off in offensive production. Uh, I was surprised at how low their rushing numbers were a year ago. I think that that's going to make a big jump in the positive move this year with Ricky Person and Bam Knight as, as a good one-two punch in that backfield. Offensive line was very good last year, and they bring back uh, two starters from last year's group. Uh, and then, you know, a couple other guys who got some good snaps. So some pretty good experience on that offensive line. I think that's going to bode well for them this year. But look for them to be a better run game team this year than a, than a passing team, at least early on. Defensively, they bring a lot of produ- production back. 74% of last year's players are coming back who had defensive experience. Um, top 30 in rush defense, sacks, and red zone defense. Although they did give up some big plays, they were only 79th in the country in limiting explosive plays. Um, Jarius Moorhead, Isaiah Moore, two tackling machines on that defense. Um, Nick McLeod is a good corner. He was fourth on the team in tackles, had eight pass breakups to go along with two interceptions. Uh, you know, <clears throat> Dave Doran has proven that he's a coach who can consistently get eight or nine wins 
every year. But NC State fans and ACC media people are still waiting for him to kind of take that next step. I think that this is, I wouldn't say it's a step down this year, but it's one of those, it's going to be a slightly rebuild year, especially given um, the competitiveness like we talked about with Florida State, I think being back, Syracuse emerging themselves last year and staying at the top this year, Wake Forest being more competitive. I just think that the the schedule for NC State in conference is going to be one that's going to throw a little bit of trouble their way. I see the the Wolfpack uh, losing games, so I think they start off four zero, but then they lose at Florida State in a game that you know could make or break you know the success of their season in terms of emerging past their threshold. I think they lose against Syracuse, and then they lose at Wake, and then at home against Clemson. But um, you know they they play Louisville at home, they play at Georgia Tech in a crossover, they play North Carolina in a crossover at home. So the teams that they play from the coastal are not really any threats. And then out of conference, they play East Carolina, West Western Carolina at home, and then they play at West Virginia, which could be a little bit of a, uh, a struggle for them, depending on how Neil Brown can emerge his team. But they've lost a lot at West Virginia that we talked about yeah. in our Big 12 podcast last week. So I don't think that the Mountaineers are going to be ready for any type of upset in that game. So I think that NC State comes out of that one uh, pretty well. But if they can get a quarterback to emerge and and play as efficiently or even 75% of what Ryan Finley did last year, then we could be talking about the Wolfpack maybe challenging for that second spot in the Atlantic. But I see them fifth this year, 8-4, and 4-4 four, four and four a bit. Uh, wouldn't you know it, Chappie? I have them 8-4, and 4-4, four, four and four, and losing to the exact same opponents that you just mentioned. So, uh, And we it- are in different locations, just <laughs> so you know. We're not looking at each other's notes. <laughs> right. Um, hard to replace everything that they lost on offense. Ryan Finley, Reggie Gillespie, Gillespie Jacoby Myers, Kelvin Harmon, Garrett Bradbury. Um, so they're going to be hurting, but I really think that their wide receiver group is going to be in good hands this year. They returned their third through fifth options who all had at least 28 catches last year. I think this is a breakout year for Emeka Amezi. He had uh, 53 catches, 616 yeah. yards, five touchdowns last year. They also get uh, technically Oregon transfer, but played most of his career at Wake Forest in one game last year for Oregon. Uh, Tabari Hines. In 2017, he had 53 catches for 680 yards, seven touchdowns. So I think this receiver group could be in good shape. Like you mentioned, they just need to get uh, good production from whichever quarterback wins the job. Ricky Person and Bam Knight, I think that they um, combine to have a good season. And like you said, I was surprised at their overall rushing numbers last year as well, as they finished 101st in the country, despite having someone uh, with... um, as productive as Gillespie, although he yeah. barely tipped a thousand yards, he really uh, lived and died in the end zone with 18 touchdowns. But yeah, right. I think that they have more of a balanced uh, attack this year, especially since they'll be breaking in a new quarterback. Um, the defense, uh, I think they'll be in a little better shape. They return eight starters, seven of the nine tacklers. The defensive line returns two good ones in James Smith Williams and Laurel Murchison. Um, at linebacker, they lose Jermaine Pratt, which is going to hurt, but they do return the team, the team's third leading tackler in Isaiah Moore, and the secondary returns five starters, but they did finish 120th against the pass last year. So a lot of yeah. experience returning, but they're going to need to improve, obviously. And incoming freshman uh, Shaheen Battle, uh, who was one of the top recruits uh, this year, really flashed uh, his ability in the spring game and adds quality depth. So again, eight and four, four, and, four and overall. Also say- I'm sorry, Savion Jackson, uh, another top recruit. Uh, there's a lot of big things, a lot of buzz about him on the defensive line as well. So watch out for him. In fact, some people have him slated to start as a true freshman at one of those defensive end positions. So, yeah, Battle and Jackson on that defensive side. And, and, and they have a game or two on their schedule 
Uh, we both have them losing, well, obviously to the same teams, but at Wake uh, is certainly a game that they could take. They have Syracuse at home following a bye. I could see them definitely taking that game as well. So an 8-4 and four, uh, season could easily turn into 10-2 and two if they get a couple things to bounce their way. Right, yep. So uh, number six, I'm assuming you have Boston College not looking at your notes? Uh, correct. <laughs> okay. Uh, give us your record then. So um, Boston College I have is challenging NC State in the conference this year, but not in a good way. They're neck and neck for me in terms of which team lost the most talent from last year. Um, they do return uh, six starters, including Anthony Brown, but I'm not really sold on Brown. He had 20 no. touchdowns last year, but had seven straight games in which he threw for under 200 yards. And if I remember right, he had five touchdowns in one game alone. So um, I'm also, and this is going to be contrary to what a lot of uh, folks believe, but I'm not all in on AJ Dillon. I know he had an injury riddled last year, but he averaged only 4.9 yards per carry. And if you take away his 149 yards on six carries against Holy Cross, he only averaged 4.3. Um, so he had impressive games against Miami and Florida, who surprisingly ranked uh, 47th against the run, and obviously Miami was towards the top. But his other 300-yard games were against the previously mentioned Holy Cross and then Wake Forest and Temple, who each finished in the 90s uh, in Rusty last year. So those three games are also the only games in which he averaged at least five yards per carry. So he's talented, at, but I don't know if he necessarily crosses 1,200 yards this year considering they've lost three offensive linemen. The passing game is going to be suspect again. and um, they also lost three of their top four receiving options. So I think it's going to be tough sledding for Dylan. And I think they're going to, I think he's their only option on offense and he's going to get the, the volume, but I would, I would pump the brakes a little bit before I start going all in on him um, in regards to his production this year. Defensively, the losses are even bigger for Boston college as they return only three starters. They lose yeah. Wyatt Ray, Zach Allen, eight of their 12 tackler uh, top 12 tacklers. Most of the secondary uh, with Hamp Cheevers, Tajamir Torres, and Will Harris gone. Um, and linebackers really the only strength that you could say that they have going into the season as they return Isaiah McDuffie and Max Richardson, who finished second and third on the team in tackles last year. A um, couple guys to keep an eye out on for uh, are at defensive end. They get Richard Yergin transferring in from Clemson and then converted tight end Joey Lucchetti was the buzz of spring ball. He had three sacks in the spring game and could have a, a decent season off the edge as they try to replace the uh, production from Ray and Allen. So I have Boston College going 4-8 and eight overall, beating up on their non-conference schedule of Richmond, Kansas, Rutgers, and uh, their lone win coming in conference against lowly Louisville. So finishing 4-8 and eight overall, 1-7 and seven in the conference. Damn, exactly what I have. 4-8, and 1-7, those same wins. And yeah, who was bright enough to schedule Kansas and Rutgers in back-to-back -back weeks and not <laughs> Brilliant, my friend, brilliant. Exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I actually thought of, of changing that to buys on uh, on my schedule. Here. So, um, yeah, I two things we know about Boston College. One, the run game will always be good. And two, they're going to have about 16 tight ends on their roster. Yeah. And both are going to be true. And, and a name to watch out for, aside from A.J. Dillon, is going to be Javion Dane. Now, yes, if that name sounds familiar, he is the son of Ron Dane. Redshirt freshman, six foot, 240 pounds. He had an impressive spring. So he, I think he's going to emerge as their number two back and could be somebody who's going to get the rock a little bit more. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's pretty much Dylan, and that's it on offense. I like Kobe White, their their leading receiver, but I'm not sold on Anthony Brown. I don't know what Brown can do for me. Um, so <laughs> is he? You know, are we going to get the Anthony Brown when he plays well, or are we going to get the Anthony Brown where he's subpar? I think it's going to be the latter. Um, and Steve Adazio, who could be trying to save his job, maybe looking to his quarterback of the future, whoever that's going to be. I mean, um, you know, uh, last year it was, uh, it was Perry, but I don't think he's, uh, on the roster anymore. EJ Perry. Um, they've got, uh, Matt Valeche and Sam Johnson who are listed behind him. So, um, you know, what's, what's the future going to look like at quarterback there for, for the Eagles? Um, you know, other parts that, that Boston college, has to be concerned with is like you said, the defense questions up front. I like the, the young talent they have at defensive end, uh, but questions on the defensive line questions in the secondary, really, you just have Richardson and McDuffie to hang your hat on. I think it's a complete rebuild and you look at, you know, I, I never like to purposely talk about coaches on the out, but you have to consider Steve Adazio has, you know, been rumored to be in the hot seat in the last, you know, since 2014, he's never won more than seven games. And I think, again, they win only four games this year. And, Bip, I have them, just like you, losing their last six to end the season. I think that we could see Adazio gone by, um, you know, either after Florida State or after the Notre Dame loss on November 23rd and start to look for the, the next head coach coming out to Chestnut Hill. That's just a tough Hello, Don Brown. Play. Yeah, well, I don't know, because Don Brown, uh, I know that he's got ties there, but I think he said that he's really not interested in being a head coach and especially given okay. his age. Yeah. I don't know that BC is going to want to um, go for that. I think that they might look for, you know, somebody from a power five yeah. position, um, well, you know, maybe somebody like Josh Heupel from, from UCF. Or, right. Well, uh, I know he flirted with uh, temple last year. Uh, yeah. And I don't know if temple said no, or if Don Brown said no. Um, but I think Boston college is, is in danger of moving into maybe Kansas, Kansas state, uh, yeah. type territory, because that's a tough place to recruit to given the fact that, uh, the academic standards, the Catholic, uh, school and, right. um, you know, someone like Steve Adazio, the Boston college fans, I could see why they might want him out, but that might be one of those careful what you wish for in, in regards right. to, Maybe 38 and 38, which is what Adazio has been since he's been there, is yeah. one of the best things you could wish for. Um, so interesting to, to, to see as that unfolds. Yeah, and, and I, I really like Steve Adazio. I don't right. want to see him go. I, no. I admire him as a coach and mm-hmm. as, a, as, a, as a man and, and somebody who creates a good culture. And I actually wonder if Boston College should consider maybe dropping to the American Athletic Conference and getting out of the ACC because – I, I think that they're kind of like Rutgers in the Big Ten, mm-hmm. Kansas in the Big Twelve. They're just—they're not really going to be able to turn the corner against the likes of Clemson, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Virginia. That's on the rise. Um, you know, I, I just don't see them having that long-term lasting ability in the ACC, regardless of their history, because history really doesn't do much for you in today's day and age. So, right. um, yep, I have them the same thing, finishing sixth. Four and eight and one and seven in conference. So that leaves the Louisville Cardinal at seventh in the ACC Atlantic. I have him going two and ten, one and seven overall in Scott Satterfield's first season as head coach um, at a Power Five program. Now, I like the Satterfield hire. Honestly, I think personally for him, 
he could have done better. I, I really thought he was going to go to UNC, but they came and got Mac Brown in, in, in a move that really shocked me and most of the college football world at the time. I think they're going to struggle to run the football, which usually spells trouble. They had a poor run game. They have one of the worst offensive lines in the conference. Um, defensively, they're weak up front. They're weak in the back end. Um, they just have a lot of youth that is not being used well. Now, they, they bring back a lot of experience on defense, but that was, I think, the second worst defense in the country um, behind UConn. And who was their coordinator last year, Bip? Uh, somebody oh, yeah. a I, I have a looking goatee. I have plenty of that prepared, Chappie. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I won't, <laughs> I won't steal any more thunder. But, uh, yeah, I just I, I don't. Scott Satterfield, I think, knows what he's getting into. I think that he sees this as a as a process, and he seems to be having fun with getting to know his team this year. And, and again, we talk about that like year zero. I think it's going to be a year zero for Satterfield. He's going to get these players to start playing better fundamental football. I think Bobby Petrino really poisoned this team last year for various reasons. Um, and again, I'm not trying to speak ill about the guy, but um, he needed to be gone, and thankfully for Louisville, he is gone. I think that Satterfield is a good hire, but it's going to take at least three years for him to get things turned around. Um, you know, is it going to be Puma Pass or is it going to be Malik Cunningham? We might even see both guys this year. I think that they've got a, a an underrated group of wide receivers. Um, you know, they return four of their top five pass catchers a year ago. Des Fitzpatrick headlines the group. He kind of had a down year last season, but has shown good things in the past. Tutu Atwell, Seth Dawkins, those are guys who can who can move the ball downfield if you can get a good quarterback to put the ball in his hands. Like I said, a lot of guys coming back on defense, but um, that's kind of like saying, hey, I found a lot of uh, found a lot of things on this on the side of the road or on the side of the road by someone's garbage, you know, and I'm not right. calling the <laughs> players garbage, but um, certainly they, they were not a, a, a wealth of riches last year. So it's going to take some time and Louisville is not helped by their schedule. They open up with Notre Dame on a Monday night. They have to play at Florida state. They have to play at wake forest at Miami at NC state. They're playing a, a much better Kentucky team than they've seen in years past. So there are two wins I have them against Eastern Kentucky and then at home against Boston College in a game that really Boston College fans are going to be like, really, really, we lost to Louisville. <laughs> uh, but again, playing that game in uh, in the Ville at, uh, I don't even know what, I think it's just Cardinal Stadium now. They took the Papa John's logo off there. But, uh, you know, just uh, playing in that tougher division in the Atlantic and, and with as much as they need to do to try and right the ship there. It's it's not going to be pretty for the Cardinal fans, uh, but at least you're going to beat Eastern Kentucky and hopefully Boston College. So again, BIP 2-10, and 1-7. and seven. So let's hear your thoughts on Louisville. Yeah, th this may have been the easiest pick for me, Clemson included. Um, Louisville finishing last in the conference. 2-10 uh, and 10 overall, 0-8 in conference. I have them beating both of the Kentuckys, both Eastern and Western Kentucky, uh, obviously losing against uh, Kentucky University in the last game of the season. So Louisville really challenged last year for maybe the worst power five team ever with this embarrassment of a football team. They lost eight games by 21 points or more and gave up 52 points or more in its last five games. Although, what do you really expect with the Brian Van Gorder-led defense? So um, <laughs> they finished in the there bottom 30 in almost every major offensive and defensive statistic, although they did finish 40th in um, passing D, but 
when you're giving up 277 yards per game on the ground, that doesn't leave a whole lot of time for teams to pass against you. So um, offensively, there's not much to speak of. I'm not really sold on Juwan Pass. Uh, he completed only 54% of his passes last year, and I think Malik Cunningham was more effective both running and throwing the ball last year. Right. Um, so curious to see who, who comes out from that position battle they return and he's a sophomore as well because you know so that speaks to satterfield can really use him as his quarterback for the next three years whereas puma pass um i don't know that you want to invest a lot in him um long term because he just doesn't wow you the way that you know cunningham can right and they return hassan hall um but he might find room he might struggle to find running room as louisville loses three offensive linemen i liked the potential of tutu atwell as he averaged 16.9 yards per catch last year and could be in store for a productive season if he has someone to get them him the ball effectively uh defensively like you said they return 10 starters but what does that get him um i mean <laughs> They um, they return every starter on the defensive line, three linebackers. Uh, Tiberius Peterson led the team with six and a half tackles for loss and led the team in sacks, but that was only two. Um, they do lose their top defensive back, D. Smith, who led the team in tackles, and uh, they could miss him in the secondary this year for sure. This is going to be the fourth defensive coordinator in four years for Louisville, and they really scraped the bottom of the barrel last year in hiring Brian Van Gorder, <laughs> and it showed in the year-end results. So returning so much and ridding themselves of Van Gorder can only lead to improvement, but how much improvement is the question? It looks to me like it's going to be another long season for the Cardinals, but in the ACC, there's plenty of teams in which Louisville could find themselves hanging around with if Satterfield and staff can make quick, uh, quick work of their proposed turnaround. But yeah, outside of Boston College, um, they don't get the easiest of schedules in the ACC. No. Um, so it's kind of kicking them while they're down. Um, I don't really see anyone outside of Boston College that they could beat in conference. And I think even though that game's at home, I think BC takes care of business in that one. So 2-10 and 10 overall for Louisville, 0-8 in the conference. Okay, so you have them beating uh, Eastern Kentucky and Western and Western Kentucky? Kentucky, yes. Okay, yes. Yeah, I actually have them losing against Western Kentucky um, and their new coach this year, but uh, yeah, that's that's kind of a toss up, just because right they've got that power five. And it's it's funny you said year end results, but it sounded like you said urine results with Brian Van Gerder, which uh, yes. may have been more appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, uh, so quick rundown of the ACC Atlantic BIP. I have Clemson one at thirteen and 9 and zero. Florida State two, ten and two, seven and one in conference. Syracuse third, nine and three, six and three in conference. Wake Forest four, eight and four at four and four in conference. NC State at five with identical records, but Wake Forest winning the head to head, so they're also eight and four, four and four. Boston College at six, four and eight, one and seven, and Louisville at seventh, two and ten overall, one and seven in conference. And I have Clemson also finishing 13-0, 9-0 in the conference, finishing first. Uh, Florida State second at 8-4 overall, 6-2 in the conference. Syracuse third, 9-3 overall, 5-3 in the conference. Wake Forest and NC State both finishing 8-4 overall, 4-4 in the conference. But Wake Forest taking that head-to-head matchup, so finishing fourth, NC State fifth. BC finishing four and eight, um, one and seven in the conference to finish sixth, and Lowly Louisville finishing seventh, two and ten overall, zero oh and eight in the conference. 
All right, well, let's get to our uh, individual accolades. So ACC Offensive Player of the Year, kind of our lightning round here. Bip, give us your player of the year. I'm going to go Travis Etienne from Clemson. I think the threat of the passing game will open up things even more this year than it did last year. And I think it comes down to Etienne and Lawrence for this. But I think in blowout situations, Lawrence sits before Etienne does, which leads to better overall stats for Etienne. I think Lawrence gets more Heisman votes due to fanfare and position, but I think Etienne has a better numbers at the end of the year. Wow, we are sharing a brain, and I'm glad to say that because you are a smart dude, man. I <laughs> I have ETN as well, but I actually uh, flip it around. I think that ETN, because of his versatility, both as a runner and as a receiver, um, and, and the kind of clutch player he is in the red zone, I think that that's going to get maybe more Heisman look than, than Lawrence. Obviously, Lawrence is going to be the fan favorite for Heisman, but I think when we get down to it, ETN's numbers might put him in a better position. He's my offensive player of the year from Clemson. Uh, defensive player of the year. I'm going to go with the Tigers as well and say Xavier Thomas. Now, there's a lot of players that I really kicked around, but when it comes down to it, I think it's going to be who's the most valuable player on the best defense. I think Clemson's got the best defense, and I think it's going to be Xavier Thomas. Even though they're replacing four starters on that defensive line, I think with Isaiah Simmons playing behind him, I think the talent that will be restocked on that defensive line and the really good secondary that's going to shut down opponents, it's going to force quarterbacks to take longer and you don't have time when you're going against Xavier Thomas coming off that rush edge. Um, so I think those factors combined give me number three for the uh, orange and white as the defensive player of the year in the ACC. I, uh, it, it was tough cause I like to go and just about everyone likes to go with defensive ends cause they get the, the sexier numbers of sacks tackles for loss. Sure. But, but I went in the secondary, went with Bryce Hall from Virginia, uh, cornerback. Yeah, good pick. He finished with 22 passes broken up last year, two picks. I think he continues to be a shutdown corner. And if he exceeds the two pick mark uh, and comes even close to that amount of passes broken up, I think he deserves the defensive player of the year award. As I think Virginia takes a, an even further step forward with that defense this year and moves up to around the uh, 10 to 15 uh, rank compared to last year when they were about 20 to 25 in most categories. Sure. Yeah. And that's a good pick. I, I almost had him, but I question, you know, is he going to be as, as sexy because our team's going to just try and avoid yeah. him this year. But right. in saying that, you know, maybe that will garner him even more votes. Sure. So ACC coach of the year, Bip, who do you have? I have uh Dabo Swinney and it's mainly because I don't see anyone seriously challenging Clemson this year. And I don't think the bump in the win column from the hurricanes and Seminoles this year is enough to give it to Manny Diaz or Willie Taggart. I think if Wake Forest gets to nine wins, which I think there's an outside shot, then I would give it to Dave Clawson. But I think they fall just shy and, and Sweeney gets the nod. Man, you are, uh, you are inside my head, man. Uh, I don't give it to Dabo Swinney and this is kind of one of those um, shame things like saying that I used to be or that I like NSYNC's music. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with Willie Taggart from Florida State. And oh, here's boy. why. I It's not because I think he is the best coach in the ACC, but I think going 10-2 and two, and, like I said, playing closer than people are going to expect against Clemson, um, and, and by close I mean you know maybe within 13 points, and that could be you know late scores at the end, but I think that – and, um, you know, playing close against a good Florida team, a Florida team that might win 10 games this year, I think that's going to make Willie Taggart look so much better compared to what he was last year and where the team was last year. But I think he might win this award because of Kendall Bryles and Harlan Barnett, his coordinators, that are going to 
elevate the play of both sides of the ball. But I, in saying that, if Dave Clawson and Wake Forest beat Florida State, that puts Wake Forest at a nine, maybe even ten win team. And I think that Dave Clawson absolutely deserves Coach of the Year in the ACC if that does occur. But uh, you know, because of the bump from Florida State relative to that to last year, and Florida State quote unquote being back this year and how they play, I'm going to give it to Taggart from the Seminoles. Okay. Uh, so assistant coach of the year, um, I went with Dan Enos from Miami and I like what he did, um, at Alabama with Jalen Hurst and, uh, Tua Tungavailoa. And I think he makes, um, the most of the collection of talent that's going to be at his disposal at Miami. Um, I think he's going to be challenged by your guy, Kendall Bryles. Uh, but I think the 10 and two, uh, propose or potential mark that I have Miami going this year gives Enos the nod um, over Bryles this year, just by a, a slight margin, as I think both offenses are going to be vastly improved from last year. Yep. And so I went with Bryles and, and that's no surprise. I mean, anybody who's listened to our podcast, mm-hmm. I think I've mentioned Bryles about on six separate occasions. So, <laughs> um, I just think that the, the Florida state offense is going to be in the top five in the country in production this year from scoring and passing offense and yards per game, yards per play, just a lot of explosion. And I think that he's going to be the, the next big name, uh, for, for the next, you know, hot head coach. And if he's smart, he will, you know, wait for maybe the right fit as opposed to going to a place like Boston College or a place like, um, you know, somewhere else in, in the Big 12 or in the in the Pac-12, something like that. I, I think that, you know, he can use this as a springboard and, and wait for that spot. But I think that he's certainly going to be I mean, he's got it in his lineage and his his bloodlines. You know, he's 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 going to be a head coach someday. So I go with mm-hmm. Kendall Bryles, offensive coordinator for Florida State. ACC Freshman of the Year, I'm going to stick with the Seminoles, and I know it seems like a theme, but again, I think that they're that improved this year. And I'm going to go with Akeem Dent, their uh, freshman safety. I think with uh, you know joining that law firm of Samuel Samuel and Lars Woodbay, I think that he fits <laughs> in like the perfect puzzle piece, and he's going to be made to look that much better. So much talk about him out of the spring. 6'1", 200 pounds, he can hit, he can cover well, he's a good tackler, he just looks like a man um, as, a, as an 18-year-old boy there. So I think Akeem Dent is going to have a, uh, a solid season as a freshman for Florida State and, and kind of be like maybe the next Grant Delpit in a couple of years. So I go with, with Dent for Florida State. I also went with Dent. Um, I, I'm going to keep my eye out on both Shamar McCollum, defensive end from Wake Forest, and Bam Knight running back from uh, NC State. But Dent has impressed so much this spring. And really anything that you read about about Florida State, regardless of whether it's defensively or just in general, you can't go anywhere or, or read anything um, about Florida State this spring without them mentioning how impressive Dent has been. So I think he forces exactly. his way onto the field. Um, even if he doesn't start at the beginning of the year, I think he starts by the end of the year. And I think that he's going to be the one of the next in a long, long line of impressive defensive backs at FSU. Yep, agreed. Well, uh, even though Clemson's at the peak, there's still 13 others who aim to break the streak. And unless you want to be an uninformed geek, continue to follow us here on A Bowl Full of Chips. And if you haven't already subscribed to us, please do so. Hit the button or ask the nearest person to show you what to do. It makes getting your chips so much easier. If you have any questions for us in the college football world, or if you have info that needs to be added to what we said, if you think that we missed the mark at all, send us your stuff and we'll be sure to retweet the good stuff out. Please tweet us at champion underscore lit 
or at BFC Bip. Thank you one more time for using your time wisely to listening to a bowl full of chips. And remember, when it comes to complete college football coverage, BFC brings football closer. On our next podcast, we finish our Power 5 review by unpacking the Pac-12. Yes, Bitman and I will cross the country to the Rockies and the Sierras and give you our thoughts on all 12 teams from Washington down to La La Land and tell you which teams will be playing for the title, why the others won't, and which West Coast contender might have a shot at the CFP. We'll also give you the players and coaches who make watching football so so late so much fun. Get all that and much, much more next time on A Bowl Full of Chips. Well, this episode has been about as long as Trevor Lawrence's hair, but as bright as Sam Hartley's smile. I'm Chappie. He's Pip. We're out. See ya. See ya.